0: You're in your truck, driving on the sidewalk and partially in the street. You're like, come come back. Can you just come back? And I have people ask me all the time, when do you just say enough is enough? Never. Never. And I watched that, and I felt like it was like confirmation that it's okay to be like, I'm going to keep trying. Even well, we're going
1: to talk about that, so don't waste it. I won't, it. I won't. Don't waste but
0: it. I'm just so privileged to meet you.
1: Oh, first of all. <laughs> I am just a dude from Memphis. I know. I, so, know. I know. And you've you've listened to this, right? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. So you know it's conversational. Yep. Yep. One of my shortcomings is I get really excited about what I like people and I like these stories <laughs> I genuinely like what I'm doing. Yeah. And God knows I would have to to keep up just cuz him. <laughs> Ugh. But so I get I get hearing what you're saying and I get excited. So I'm trying to temper my excitement a little bit, not to speak over my guests too much. Okay. It's the criticism I'm getting right now.
0: So you're working on that is what no, I hear you saying? No, lumber
1: guy and a football coach. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I mean, nobody, right. I didn't take debate for God's sake. So <laughs> anyway, um, and I'll tell you about this in a little bit.
0: I can't wait to hear about it.
2: So a couple notes. Generally speaking, you should be about this far away. He okay.
0: also
1: screw with the microphone while we're talking, oh, yeah. which, while is, we're talking? Ing- yeah, which is infuriating. Good to
0: know. But just, just do what
1: most people do and ignore him.
0: Okay, well, I can no, do that no. really well. I can do that really well.
1: <laughs> Welcome to an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'm a normal guy. I'm a husband, a father an entrepreneur, and I've been a football coach in inner city Memphis, and the last part, it unintentionally led to an Oscar for the film about our team. It's called Undefeated. I believe our country's problems will never be solved by a bunch of fancy people in nice suits talking big words that nobody understands on CNN and Fox, but rather an army of normal folks, us, just you and me deciding, hey, I can help. That's what Deb Ellinger, the voice we just heard, has done. Deb is the founder of Ellie's House, a street ministry in Detroit that cares for women who have been sexually trafficked. She tries to help them escape and enter a treatment program, and today they have two houses where women can live as they transition back to a new life. I cannot wait for you to meet Deb right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. Debbie Ellinger I have been um really looking forward to meet you and welcome to Memphis. Well,
0: thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, and everybody Debbie Ellinger, but it's Dub.
0: Yes, it is. We're, yep. All my friends call me Dub.
1: You're Dub. Yeah. Am I your friend? You are. I get to call you Dub. <laughs> you do. All right, perfect. <laughs> so, um crazy life, amazing story and we're going to unpack it all, but first, um just who you are, where you come from as a kid, how you grew up.
0: Yeah. So I grew Give up, us some
1: background on who Deb is. Yeah.
0: I grew up in the city of Detroit. Love my city so much still even. Um, grew up there, went to high school, graduated, became a, uh, went to a police academy, became a police officer, worked doing that for about seven years. And then decided I wanted to be at home with kids, and so I had four kids and raised them at home, homeschooled them until high school, sent them off to high school, and then um, just really felt like God was leading me to do something with women, to empower women, to love on women, specifically in the city of Detroit. And so that's how Ellie's House got created.
1: Which we'll get to. Yeah. But you skipped way ahead. Deb. <laughs> Did I? We got to get back to where Deb, the root of Deb. Okay. Tell me about your parents. Do you have yeah. siblings?
0: I don't. I'm an only child. You're an
1: only child. I am. Yep. Me too.
0: Are you? Oh, that's. I do remember hearing yeah. this. Yeah. 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 I'm an only child. Um, my dad... mom
1: got divorced before she could have any more. Oh, okay, because you were enough for world. her.
0: Because that was it.
1: Uh, I think I ended up being plenty. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but the story's about you, Deb, not oh. me. <laughs> so, tell me about your mom, your dad, where yep. you came up, and how you came up, and where in Detroit you came up.
0: Yeah. So my dad came from Alabama, moved, was in the military, moved to the city, became a bus driver. So we took the bus everywhere growing up. When I was a little That's, city bus. Yes, yeah, city bus. Let me ask
1: something. Did did your dad wear a gun? No. Well, no. Back no. At, there was a time, and you and I are about the same age. Yeah. But there was a time right before us that bus drivers were actually armed and wore badges. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah,
0: I did know that. He was not in that. He, in was, th- just he that was just after that. He was just after that. Okay. yeah Yeah. So I grew up taking the bus everywhere we went. Uh, we lived in a flat in the city on the east side. Actually, we lived in a flat not far from where our Outreach takes place, and so we grew up there. I lived where is there. that part of the city? So it's Seven and Chalmers area, Harper and Connors area.
1: Got it. Um, I have a reason for asking. I'm, gonna I'm share sure with you, you do. In a minute.
0: I'm sure you do. So we, that's where I grew up, and I lived there and had awesome experiences actually living in the city. People talk about how it's dangerous. I like. I don't have memories of that. I just have good memories of just relationships and community like the community was really strong and and when we where we lived and then eventually it did it it wasn't anymore uh, what, what'd your mom do she so my mom worked at jc Penney's. she was a manager at jc and my my dad was a bus driver and we lived um in that part of the city we lived there until about 1985 and then we moved to a little community called Harper Woods, which actually borders the city of Detroit. So we were like four streets off from the city. And then that's where I went to high school. Yeah, I was Harper Woods say, high. 85, yeah. Uh, high school. Yeah. So yeah. then I went to high school and my parents lived in Harper Woods until about 2000. And now they live in, oh, my dad passed away in August and um, my mom lives in a town called Pickney.
1: You know- It doesn't get more blue-collar Detroit feeling than a kid growing up inside Detroit with a JCPenney's mom and a bus driver dad. I mean, you guys were just blue-collar folks. We
0: were, yeah, big-time blue-collar.
1: Did your parents struggle with money or anything?
0: Yeah, I mean, they did. Um, So we lived in a flat, and downstairs— Lived an older couple and they had no kids and they adopted me. They would call me their granddaughter. So we lived upstairs, they lived downstairs, and um, they paid for me to go to private school. You're kidding me. No, no. And to they private high school, private grade school. So I went to private grade school till eighth grade. And then um, they did that. Why did they do that? Just because honestly, they just loved me so much. Wow. Yeah. They were so good to me um who are
1: they tell us their name Teresa
0: and Joe Andary wow and so
1: they had no children no no grandchildren no grandchildren they loved you and they just Mm -hmm. paid for you to go to school
0: yeah and then he passed away that's actually why we moved so he passed away in 1984 we moved in about 1985 Teresa moved to Ohio that's where her family was from um we always stayed in contact and then um she paid for one year of my college too.
1: So. You are kidding. No.
0: No, they were great.
1: Wow. Yeah. What what kind of what kind of school was the private school they sent you to? It was a Lutheran school. Were you a fish out of water?
0: Um, a little bit. Because yeah. Because
1: if you're coming from this blue-collar background going to a yeah. private school, was well, it a little weird? Yeah,
0: fair. Yeah, it was a little weird now that I think about it cuz most people didn't come from that environment. But great experience. Like I just look at my grade school years and they were just all positive. It was just great. It was a very diverse community too.
1: I wish that I knew the roads. Mm. But my grandparents are from Detroit. Oh. My great-my maternal grandmother and grandfather grew up in Detroit and met in sixth grade Sunday school class oh. and married a couple months before the war and my grandfather ended up being a pilot in World War 2. Wow. And we're stationed in Pensacola and um my grandfather's father passed young and he was one of six. Okay. And they grew up in a two bedroom apartment somewhere in Detroit and I wish to goodness I knew where yeah. but I know that he saved up and bought a Model T, and oftentimes it ran out of gas, and he just left it on the side of the street until he could get gas to move it.
4: Right, right.
1: And he would tell you, well, he told me, and they've passed, but that um, bagging Janice Sullins was her maiden name, uh, my grandmother, was the greatest thing he'd ever done because my grandmother grew up, on the other side of Detroit, although they met it in church. Now, the other side was the nice side. And, of course, mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. But the reason I have this for you is yeah. my great-grandfather was an executive with Massey Ferguson tractors in Detroit.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: And they made those things in Detroit. Yeah. And while my grandmother and grandfather were in World War II, um, my... Great-grandfather, my grandmother's father, relocated to Memphis to open the first Massey Ferguson dealership.
0: That's so cool.
1: And after the war, my grandmother and grandfather came to Memphis rather than going back to Detroit to work in the Massey Ferguson dealership.
0: Wow. That's amazing.
1: And so when I knew we were interviewing you and how much you love Detroit, Mm -hmm. um... I am a descendant of Detroit. You are. You
0: absolutely are.
1: By way of Massey Ferguson. And the reason I have this tractor is because this was a uh, salesman's model that my grandfather used to take around and sell people tractors Mm -hmm. with. And when he died, my grandfather got it. and my grandfather died, I got it. And it sits on my credenza in my office to remind me that um, I come from... A grandfather line, at least on my maternal side, of people who have always been in industrial sales, which yeah. is what I do. Right, and it all connects back to Detroit. So I have this weird kinship to you and your story yeah. and where you came up. Yeah. Um. So anyway, there's a Detroit that. connection between us. I love now. that.
0: Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it's That's very so cool. cool.
1: So, where'd you go to college?
0: fair State University.
1: What is that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Never heard of it's it. It's a college in northern Michigan, I guess, if you will, near Grand, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, I'm
1: sure it's balmy during the winter.
0: It's real balmy in the winter. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah. So that's where I went to school. I got a bachelor's degree in criminal justice, and you can go through the police academy there. So that's what I did. And it was great.
1: Why did you want to be a police officer? That's not a typical thing for a female, especially in those years, to want to do.
0: Yeah. Part of it was, I think, because I wanted to show people I could do it because it wasn't the popular thing to do. Part of it is that because that's just kind of how I'm wired. Right. Um, But I really did love – I like risk. I like to help people. And so that felt like a good way to put it all together. And I thought eventually I would go to law school. That's actually what I thought I would do. Hmm. So I would start being a police officer. And then as I got older, I was like, maybe I'll go to law school because that really intrigued me. But then I ended up, now I'm going to school for my master's in social work. So it, like, you know. God, yeah, the world never. It, you just, you it just, just don't know. Surges. You just don't know what's going to happen. So. But you
1: graduated from there. I
0: did. Mm-hmm. And
1: you became uh, not a police officer at first, right?
0: So I worked as a corrections officer for a little bit and then i got promoted and worked on the road at the sheriff's department i worked there for a couple of years what does that mean on the road yeah the so you can work you you start out in the jail at least during my time i don't know if it's like this still anymore but you would start out in the jail and then eventually being on the road in a patrol car was a considered a promotion
1: got it so um so out there Writing tickets and catching yep. bad guys.
0: Yep, doing all that kind of stuff. And so after six months of working in the jail, I got promoted. I went to the road, and I worked the road, and I did traffic. I, I did a little bit of everything.
1: Was the jail the city jail? Or- no.
0: So Macomb County is a suburb of the city. So Detroit's in Wayne County. Macomb County is a separate, a separate area. But it's a pretty big jail. So,
1: so- – What was your job inside the jail?
0: Um, Basically, watching the women. That's I worked in. Sometimes I worked in the men's side, but mostly I I worked in the women's side. So, doing checks on them, making sure they took their medication, uh, make sure they were honoring the rules and obeying the rules, that kind of stuff. It was great experience. I actually really enjoyed it. But my goal was eventually to be on the street.
1: Were there drugs in jail at that time? No, not like today. Not
0: like today. It's so different. What's the difference? Well, first of all, I would say working where I, there was less people, like like the numbers of people inside our jails and prisons is is insane. the The numbers are just through the roof. I would say that's the first thing. Um, and I feel like back then in my time, pe- they it was just more respectful. People just really like you tell them the rules. You know, same thing I kind of do now. Develop a relationship with people. And and then here are the rules, just honor the rules because we have a relationship and that's what we would do.
1: So even back then, inmates followed Yeah. rules?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Do you have any sense of the difference in why we have such a difference in the numbers of prison population now as just only when you first became a police officer and also why the attitude of... Of the people inside the jails is so much more vicious Mm -hmm. and and violent. Do you have a sense of that?
0: Gosh, I I guess I would have to think about that for a minute. Um, I would say that um, drugs is definitely a contributor. So the drugs are always expanding and growing and becoming, I guess, more edgy. So even on the streets, I talk to people and, you know, we talk about fentanyl a lot. Well, there's something actually much harder than fentanyl going on on the street. Really? What is that? Yeah. It's called animal trank.
1: What? Yeah. Animal... Trank. So it's like a... Like a tranquilizer? Yeah. Is it really animal tranquilizer?
0: That's what they say. And so it's laced in whatever you do. Typically, we're talking heroin or crack, but mostly heroin. And if it's in that drug it actually eats away your skin. So we've seen two people with it in our area where it literally is eating away your skin. And so this one particular person, it was eating away on their shin. And it's antibiotic resistant. Um, There's one type of antibiotic that worked, but it's not guaranteed that it will work. And you have to be at the hospital for many days, typically like five to ten days, for it to run it through your eat, system.
1: It eats your skin until it kills you. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is it's cr- horrifying. So, so
0: we have stuff like that that didn't exist like back in my day. Like we weren't working with stuff like that.
1: Do you think the the Do you think the laws are different, or do you think the mm-hmm. police approach to people are different?
0: I think both. I think the laws are much different now <laughs> than they were, and I and I think. Law enforcement's tired. They're tired. People are tired. And the lack of respect and from both sides, I would say, both sides. I don't think it's one-sided here. I go, like, as a law enforcement officer, it's going to benefit you to be kind and courteous and develop some kind of rapport with somebody as opposed to coming all guns a-blazing all the time. Coming in hot. Coming in hot. And, like, I would say that for the same for people. Like be honest, be truthful, have a conversation. And and I think we immediately turn to violence all the time instead of just actually sitting down and having a conversation. And so, um, and it goes on both ways, both sides.
1: So I think you have a very unique perspective and our listeners don't fully understand where you are now, um, which we're not going to tell them yet. (laughs) But we'll just say that you work with people that are, um, oftentimes the ones ending up in prison. Right. And then you've also got a degree in criminal justice and were a police officer for six, seven years. hmm So you have a unique perspective because you literally have been an advocate for both sides of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And um, to hear you say it's so different now, our jails are so much fuller, the lack of respect from both sides is so much different. hmm to me, it's just a phenomenal uh, narrative on how much change our, our society's gone through in just the last 25 years.
4: Yeah,
0: for sure.
1: Do you have a sense of a remedy?
0: I don't. I, I wish I did. I, For me, a lot of things just come down to respect and relationships. That's what it comes down to me. Like, if we're building relationships and community, whether we're a nonprofit, whether we're a police department, whether we're a fire department, whether we're a business owner, I just think there's a lot of value and power in developing relationships and then holding your community accountable. And I just think we've lost that. We've lost all sense of that.
1: And now, a few messages from our generous sponsors. But first, we really want to hear from you about what the Army and other Army members have meant to you and consider sharing it on our social media accounts if you'd be open to sharing with us. If you're game for this, write us at army at normalfolks.us or call or text us at 901-352-1366. We'll be right back. You get put on the street Mm -hmm. and you're running around writing tickets and (laughs) catching bad guys, I guess. Yeah, yeah. What was that like?
0: It was awesome. Was it? Yeah, I loved it. I really loved my job. I mean, I got hired at the sheriff's department when I was 21. So I I always make the joke like they gave me a gun and a patrol car.
1: At 21? At
0: 21. (laughs) Like, oh, my word. (laughs) It's like, but they did. But I did really love my job, and I I think mostly because I love I do love helping and serving people, and I love meeting new people, so my job was different every day, like I did not do the same thing every day, which was really cool. Um,
1: What's it like to arrest somebody?
0: <laughs> well, if they're cooperative, yeah, yeah, if they're cooperative, it's wonderful. If they're not cooperative, it's not so wonderful.
1: Do you ever get scared?
0: Um yes, I would say there's one time that sticks out in my head. Um I had already had my oldest daughter and this was actually when I realized I I don't think I could do my job anymore. I had felt like I lost my edge and we were there was a call about guys with guns in like a party bus type of What? Yeah, guys with guns guys in a party Guys with guns in a party, party bus? bus. Yeah. And so That
1: sounds like uh <laughs> that's that sounds like I don't know what TV show, but that sounds like a TV show. I something know. that would happen on Girls Gone Wild right. or something, right? Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. So guys I just guys
1: with guns. Guys a with party. guns on a party. Hey, bus. Are we talking about a bastard party that's gone awry, or are we talking about bad guys that just happen to be in a bus? The latter. Bad guys that happen yeah. to be in a bus. Yeah. So what are they doing?
0: And so I remember we I saw the vehicle and I was like, oh shoot what am I going to do? It was like my first call having a baby with someone with a gun.
1: And I'm supposed to pull these people over. And
0: I'm supposed to pull these people over and have an interaction with them. And I have a baby at my friend's house who's watching her right now. And I just kept thinking, I I don't know if I can do this. I've lost my edge. And, um, and it was shortly after that that I decided I just couldn't do it
1: anymore. So you... You go to you go to four years of school, get the criminal justice thing. You go through the and and you've got this career, but then all of a sudden your maternal instincts mm-hmm. usurp mm-hmm. your what you, your 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 passion for law enforcement and service and all. Yeah. What what's your husband's name? Jake. Jake. Yeah. So went along this this track so far did you meet jake
0: so i met jake um we have a very interesting story so i met him in 97 early of march of 97 and we were (laughs) married pregnant and had a house by november of 97 wow uh yeah
1: yeah Hey, Jake, want to have a baby at a house, start a life? Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Did you arrest him and force him into this?
0: No, I met him at a bar. (laughs) I would love to say it was some really cool story, but it's not. We met at a bar on St. Patrick's Day.
1: That's well. There you have it. (laughs) Yeah, and it's been
0: love ever since. And you
1: were a cop, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah, I worked. I actually was at the bar with a bunch of people I worked with. And my husband kept saying, well, now that he tells me, he's like, I just didn't know if you were with all of these guys. Like, were they (laughs) your dates or what were they? And I was like,
1: well. But, I mean, isn't that a cop story to meet their spouse at a bar on of all days? St. St. Patrick's Day. That's a cop story. It is. Maybe more of a New York cop story, but still a cop story, right? Yes, for sure. All right. And your first kid's name is? Madison. Madison. Mm -hmm. And so how many kids? So, but you, you, you. You get out of law enforcement mm-hmm. when Madison is yeah. an infant, so, so the other three come later.
0: Right. Well, when so I have Maddie, and um, I remember when I had her, I was like, I don't think I want to go back to work anymore. Mm. And my husband was like, We did not talk about this. I was like, <laughs> I know, surprise. And so, um, so I had her, and then I we got pre- I was pregnant with Lainey and. 2000 and i i left my job in like 98 99 got it yeah
1: so at this point you're a mom
0: i am a mom stay-at-home mm-hmm. mom yeah it was great loving it it's so great is it yeah loved it
1: you know we lisa and i have four children we had four in four years
0: god bless you
1: god bless lisa god bless lisa i didn't you know i did the fun part she she's did the amazing part. too she is phenomenal yes she absolutely is yeah so did you stay, Uh, you stay stay at home mom?
0: Yeah, so I had Maddie in 98 and then we had Lainey in 2000 and then we had Peyton in 2001. So they're 14 months apart. Yep. And then my son McGuire was born in 2005.
1: And this whole time you're being a mom? I am. What's Jake do for a living?
0: Uh, he's a carpenter.
1: He's a carpenter. He
0: loves to build things.
1: I love it. Yeah. So at this point, you're having just the normal American life mm-hmm. with a little bit over the average number of kids, and <laughs> yeah. you're living a dream, yeah. uh, but you feel called to do something else.
0: Yeah. So a nonprofit in the area asked if I would be interested in working for them. and um, Doing what? Sunday school programs for inner city kids at a church and vacation Bible schools. So yeah. I did Sunday school programs. I created a program for them created a vbs program vacation bible school program and loved it loved it so much and then um we had a girl run away that we i was pretty close to from and,
1: bible school
0: yeah well she had ran away from home but she was involved in our bible school she was involved in our sunday mornings and um i had the you know the local grandma who knows everyone's stuff that's going on call me at like 7 in the morning and she's like you got to turn the news on this girl's picture was on the news. She had been missing for four days. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, we, we got to figure out what's going on. So I texted her and called her and paid like all the things. And finally she got back with me, this girl. And I was like, you need to come How home. How old was this girl? 15.
1: And she got back with you. Yeah. I was why like, why you?
0: Well, we had a relationship. So it was interesting because she, her and I had had a conversation about what trafficking looked like in the city. Um, like if you, girls are running away like crazy in the city and it can be in, in this situation, it was literally because of a pair of shoes. She wanted a pair of shoes and her mom wouldn't buy it for her. And there was just a lot of tension at their house. And so she ended up running away. And her and I had a conversation at the church a few weeks before that about what trafficking looked like. I did a trafficking presentation for teen girls, and we talked about online stuff. We talked about being approached with these great gifts and these great opportunities that weren't true And so we literally, her and I had a private personal conversation for like three minutes. It was really short, but I was like, hey, I just always want you to remember the things that we talked about in here. Like things aren't what they look like when you're on the street. And so like if you decide to leave your school or leave your house, just remember the things we talked about. Like people offering you money for things, offering you purses and shoes. and, And she remembered that. And so... She said she went, she ended up going to a friend's house and we ended up getting her to go back home, but she had encountered all of those situations. And so she like, I had encountered a guy asking, telling me he could buy me all of these great things.
1: Deb, we got a backup. Yeah. <laughs> well, people listening to this, they hear vacation Bible school yeah. <laughs> and clearly you're a Christian yeah. and faithful because you have evoked, you felt called to do things. Mm-hmm. When I hear church and vacation Bible school, I don't think classes on trafficking. Yeah, right. That doesn't, I, I imagine a bunch of people mm-hmm. making, doing arts and crafts and singing Jesus Loves Me. hmm I don't imagine having conversations with 14 or 15-year-old girls about human trafficking, right. about prostitution. Mm-hmm. Give me a sense of what this church looks like. I mean, my, I, I'm not envisioning a a white steeple nope. church off in the Sound of Music hills. That is, this yeah. is must be a different
2: church yeah. situation.
0: So it's in a very poverty stricken zip code. A lot of the houses aren't um, shouldn't be lived in, but they are that kind of environment. Um and
1: low socioeconomics.
0: Yep, yep, very low. And um kids skipping school, kids not going to school, kids fighting at school, if they did go to school.
1: How are you getting these people into a church?
0: Um you just well, we just went around the neighborhood and asked people to come to church. Did you it's, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just you gotta be in the neighborhood. You gotta be in the community. Um to just build that relationship for people to trust you and that's what we did and then they would bring people in and people just keep like we had a really strong vacation bible school program and um Sundays we didn't have as many kids but it really was because of us going into the community and just building that trust
1: so you got out of law enforcement because you feared for your safety, not really for your own, but for your families. But then you decide, okay, well, I'm not going to have the backing of the police, a Kevlar vest, and a gun, but I'm going to go into the same neighborhood and knock on doors.
0: Yeah. Derek, yeah. I know. No, when you say it like that, Bill, it doesn't
1: sound all that. Well, but... I'm just saying. You're, I'm, all I'm doing yeah. is repeating what you're telling
0: you're, me. No. Yeah. But honestly... Um, I get asked all the time, like, "Are you scared?" I don't feel scared. Like, I
1: get that. I never felt scared of masses. Yeah, I never don't, once.
0: I don't feel like that. I don't. Um, and honestly, I think a part, a huge part of it, is just the genuine, authentic love that we show people. Like, it is just authentic, and um, we're not perfect. We don't have it all figured out, but we really love people
1: well.
4: 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
2: Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at two hundred K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P A C A S O.com.
1: So, what possessed you to care enough about the kids in this impoverished neighborhood and getting them into anything? that to be part of positive that you wanted to go knock around on doors and Mm -hmm. the hood I think part I I say the hood but I'm picturing Uh the hood it
0: is yeah it is I think part of it is realizing that I had privilege growing up I had that and most of my all of my friends on my street did not have that
1: hold it you had privilege. Oh yeah, going the to a, daughter of a bus driver yeah. and a J.C. Penney's person living in an apartment yeah. in inner city Detroit doesn't sound overly privileged.
0: No, but going to Lutheran school instead of Detroit public schools was a huge privilege. A huge privilege. Like I can remember my neighbor But your
1: parents didn't afford you.
0: Right. Exactly. I I can remember my neighborhood friends coming home with like one kid had a black eye because he gotten into it, somebody hit him at school. I mean, this is in the eighties, right? And um. I just remember going, wow! I don't have those experiences at where I, where I'm at. Um, and we, I did go to a very diverse school, so I really learned a lot about different cultures, and I I, I loved that. I loved being a part of the culture we had at my school. At the African American culture it was so strong and so good, and that's what I wanted to be a part of, and that's the kind of community I grew up in.
1: So, the girl that mm-hmm. disappeared, that the grandmother who knows everything, mm-hmm. which I know the grandmothers <laughs> you're talking about, <laughs> yeah. you also have to answer to those grandmothers. You
0: absolutely do. You I, best be right. You best be right. Cause, and cause you best answer. They'll call you for
1: help, but they'll also call you and tell you when you're messing up. They
0: for sure will. And if you don't answer their phone call, they will call you back five more times in like two minutes. Or just show up. Or just show up. Yeah.
1: I know those scrims. Yep. I I know you do. I do too. (laughs) So you got this girl to go home.
0: Yep. We got this girl to go home. But when that
1: happened, it triggered something in you.
0: It did. Because she said to me, "Um, Could you have a place where, could there be a place where I could just go so I could like calm down after a fight um, with my parents or a place to go where I could just sit and figure out how I was feeling? And I was like, Well,. Could think about that. I don't know what that would look like. Um, and so, originally, when I was praying about it and figuring out what God wanted me to do, I was like, maybe we would just have like a drop in center for teen girls after high school. That's how my thoughts process started. Like, it'd be a place for girls to go after high school. After school was done, they could come, they could hang out, get a meal. Um, and just talk through stuff that happened through the day, talk through stuff going on at their house. And then we would try to come through, figure out problem solving. That's originally how it started. And then it grew into helping adult women.
1: So, (laughs) um, why do you care?
0: I just, I got, I, I just think that everybody has value. I really do. I And the people we work with um, aren't seen as having value. They're not seen as having worth. Um, I think sometimes that's probably why people don't get involved with us because it's a very hard demographic to work with. Um, and so that's like, those are the people that are I, I think are overlooked the most, that I want to be able to go, hey, you do have value, you do have worth, and we want to show you what that looks like.
1: So tell us who it is you work with.
0: So we work with women who are... Um, Women's
1: an interesting word.
0: Mm-hmm. Women and men, to be honest. We work with women. No, I mean, some yeah. of them
1: aren't legally women.
0: Yeah, Well, right. And so women, men, we work with transgender um, the, the, any of that population, anyone who's struggling with homelessness, um, substance abuse, um, trafficking, forced prostitution, and we really do just love them and meet them where they're at.
1: But what I mean is some of these ages are 14 and 15.
0: So we work with every, so all of our clients are typically 18 and older. Got it. Yeah.
1: But you see.
0: We have seen, yes, younger. Mm-hmm. For sure.
1: So we'll talk about what you do to work with them in a minute. Okay. But um, what does a tw- – I'm picking one. I'm This is my fictitious world, okay? Okay. But you can put uh, reality on top of this vision that I have of a 20-year-old
3: mm-hmm.
1: woman – who is uh, walking the streets, selling herself, probably has an addiction, probably has nowhere to stay consistently with a roof over her head. Um, where does that person come from? How does that happen? Mm-hmm. And what's going on between their ears when you can actually talk to them?
0: Yeah. So
1: give us that person.
0: That per- And so it could be a wide range of who that person can be, um, that one of those people could be from foster care who's been through the system and aged out of the system and has nowhere to go. We've, we see that often. But we also see the, the person from the suburbs that got into a fight with their mom or dad and um, met somebody online and it looked like a better situation, ended up on the street and then ended up addicted and now can't leave. So we have that situation. We have – I've heard stories from women saying, I watched my mom do this. This was how she survived. This is how she put food on the table for us and a roof over our head. And so this is really what we grew up seeing. It's generational. Um, And we've seen people who have just come right from addiction and then just to feed their addiction just continue to be out there.
1: So I can remember – when um i was a kid we used to play chips all right remember yep. the remember the tv show chips yes yeah with uh john Pancharello Pancho- and uh um, the other guy yeah uh something Pancho- Pancho- and John. Pancho- yeah but anyway it was a hispanic dude and a very white guy yep and they were riding their motorcycles around well we would ride our bicycles around and act like the chips people And, of course, I was always the really white dude because he had blonde (laughs) hair and was light-skinned and I look like I look. And I had a friend named David Leon who, obviously, with the name David Leon was uh, John Ponciarello or whatever his name was. Anyway, we used to love to ride. I mean, and when I was growing up, I always thought, how cool would it be to be a motorcycle policeman? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you remember that time in your life, what you dreamed of being, what you wanted to be? Do you remember that? Yeah, I what do. was it?
0: It was not law enforcement. No, but what was it? A really? veterinarian.
1: You wanted to be a veterinarian? Yeah. What'd you want to be, Alex? <laughs> a sports
2: broadcaster. You wanted to be a sports broadcaster.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, everybody that's listening to this, I wish they'd go back to that six mm. to seven, eight-year-old, you know, what'd you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. I bet nobody says a hooker.
0: Nope. Not one person I've ever talked to on the street says, I love my job. I love what I do and I want to be here.
1: Yeah. And so that's the thing. Yeah. Is nobody says I want to grow up and be a hooker. No one. No one. No one says I want to grow up and live on the streets and use my body. And it's just so devastating because our country is full of these streets. Mm Mm-hmm. In Detroit, where you happen to work, you see it every day. And I'm trying so hard to get the sense of what drives a human being to live in filth Mm -hmm. and to sell themselves Mm -hmm. and to put themselves in that abuse when that's not what anybody ever wants to be. Right. And you say foster care and they get turned out and they have nowhere to go. I mean, uh that's heartbreaking because mm-hmm. we're talking about a foster kid who has already been crapped on their whole life. Uh, right. Yep. So they're almost almost systematically falling into mm-hmm. a crack. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you talk about <laughs> I mean <laughs> what is it, the family business, yeah. a second generation thing. And I want to strangle the mother mm-hmm. who even painted a picture of a life for a child to grow up
0: mm-hmm.
1: like that. But more than likely, that mother came from an incredible amount of trauma and dysfunction that even led to that in the first place. Exactly. So that's that's more devastation. Um, obviously, addiction and to think of a of, of a young lady who is probably going through high school or whatever gets caught up in a crowd, which I hate. Every at some point, everybody says they're hanging around with the wrong crowd. At some point, somebody is the crowd, and they're not hanging around with themselves. So mm-hmm. the hanging around with the wrong crowd is kind of a weird thing because you kind of are that crowd, so right. you're hanging around with the wrong person, which you're is hanging around yourself, with yourself right. the wrong
0: person, exactly. So I hate that whole
1: thing, yeah. but the addiction. Then leading to, um, you know, a a place where the only way you know how to feed your addiction Mm -hmm. is to fall into this lifestyle. And then a kid from the Burbs, for goodness sakes, who meets somebody online and ends up in this world. But all of it is just so devastating.
0: It really is.
1: and. Deb, I just can't imagine waking up one day and saying, I want to go be around these people every day.
0: I know. Why? I Honestly, I just think it is how I'm wired to love and serve people that are always overlooked. Honestly, I do.
1: I often say that it's important that, A discipline and passion meet opportunity Mm. if you're ever going to do anything in this world. And I talk about an army of normal folks serving as a catalyst for people to find their passion and their discipline and then listen long enough to meet an opportunity where they can Mm. employ it and get involved.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: And it's just interesting to me that your passion and your discipline are people and your discipline was a law enforcement person, yeah. and it comes from kind of how you came up and then you see an opportunity where most people look the other way
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it's pretty cool,
0: yeah, I think so too.
1: so what's Jake think about his wife hanging out over here
0: <laughs> um so it took him a minute to get used to it the idea um but as years have gone on, he, he, he's gone out with us. So he sees, he knows all the people I talk about. Um, and he can see how like the relationships are so great between, all, with, between all the people out there. So I think he's in a good place about it. What he's doesn't love the idea because my dream is that I would move to that area. So I would love for me and him to buy a house in our outreach area and live there. And that's, he's not on board with that
1: yet. <laughs> yet is the operative word. Yeah. I'm like it's, it's got to come eventually. Of persuasion. <laughs> I know. So I read that uh somewhere, maybe in my notes or maybe Alex provided it or maybe it was even in the email that you reached out to me with, which was awesome, that you were actually losing your own home.
0: We were. Yeah. Why? Um, so, With four children, yeah, that's scary. It was very scary. My husband lost his job. Um, this is when? 2008,
1: 2009. Housing crisis. Yep. If he was a carpenter, he probably wouldn't get much work. Yeah, he
0: was not having much work. And so we ended up losing our house.
1: You did lose it. We did. I, don't, I thought it was maybe mm-hmm. going to no, be. No, we did. You and got then, foreclosed on?
0: Yep, we got foreclosed on. Did you own it? We yep. did. Mm-hmm.
1: And the bank got it? Yep. And you have four children?
0: Yep. Yeah. Were you not freaked out? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And then we found a house to rent, so we rented a house on a mile road that was about four miles from the city.
1: Didn't that screw up your credit? That oh, yeah, your whole life. Oh
0: yeah. But now we have a house, Bill. So it's good. We bought a house, and no, our credit. <laughs> I know that's great.
1: But the point is that coincides with when you decided to get on the street and mm-hmm. help people. Yeah. So how does that work?
0: Well. So when we lived in this house on a mile road, like four miles from the city, across the street from our house was a liquor store and um, a bus stop. And so we were homeschooling the kids at the time. And I was like, what could we be doing in this community? Like, we just have to do something because we're here. I don't know how long we're going to be here for, but we might as well embrace the fact that we're here and utilize this time wisely So we started giving, uh, it was the winter time. So we would provide hot chocolate to the people at the bus stop.
1: How can you provide hot chocolate for people at the bus stop when you can't even pay your own bills?
0: I know. I know. I know.
1: Well, you keep saying, you know, I don't know. I don't either.
0: I, I don't know how we did it, but we did. And my husband would get like pick up little odd jobs here and there. So, like, he can make anything.
1: He was not looking at you saying, quit spending money on hot chocolate. We can't pay our bills.
0: Maybe he was thinking that, but he didn't verbalize that.
1: Wow. Yeah. The, the the reason I'm asking this yeah. is not to take you through a clearly traumatic time in your life, but everybody's always, not everybody, oftentimes people are always saying, I really want to help, but now's not the time. Mm-hmm. I really want to do something in my community, but I need to get this taken care of first. Yeah, You're out there in the community losing your home. Yeah. Raising money for other people Mm -hmm. when you can't even pay your own bills. That is correct. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. We'll be right back.
3: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry.
0: I just remember God telling me, um, you you need to do something in the city and you need to find a house to do that in. And um, I just remember going, I don't even have my own house, right? Like we're renting a house and we are literally living week to week right now, paycheck to paycheck. And um, I remember telling my husband one day when we were in the car driving together, because timing is everything when you talk to your husband about some big plan you have, right? Timing
1: is everything when you talk to your wife. To yeah, yeah, this is true. Trust me. I know, I know.
0: <laughs> and I, I don't know why I picked this time, but we I don't even remember where we were going, but I remember going, i I have been praying and asking God to show us what we're supposed to do. And so... My husband was like, I don't know, if you if you get someone to donate a house to you, I guess we can make that happen. But otherwise, I don't know what you're thinking. And I was like, I don't know either. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm just going to keep figuring it out. So,
1: And somebody donated a house. And
0: somebody donated a house. <laughs> yeah.
1: Which sets in play this dream that happened from a conversation from the first 15-year-old that said to you, if I just had somewhere mm-hmm. to
0: go. Yeah.
1: And you don't even have your own house, but you get right. a house donated yeah. for the people who have nowhere to go. Right. That's crazy.
0: I know. I know.
1: So tell me what a day, st- at, back in those times, mm-hmm. what does go out? You, you've you said a couple of times, and we need to let the listeners know what we're talking about. You said go out. What does mm-hmm. go out mean?
0: Yeah, so when we first started, we took our personal car and went to an area that was, I knew really well near where I grew up. So it's like, I know this area. I'm just gonna go look for people who might need food or might need. Um, we
1: literally just went out looking for people. Literally,
0: we went in our car, my husband and I, just me and him. And then that kind of grew from. Printing missing girl flyers. So there was lots of girls missing from the city of Detroit. And so I printed flyers and then we would go into gas stations, tattoo parlors, all the places go, Hey, have you seen these girls? Do any of them look familiar? And if anybody thought they did, we would call in a tip, that kind of thing. Um, And then I ran into, we ended up on this one street, Harper, and I was talking to an off-duty police officer who was working security at this hotel I was like, hey, I'm really like, I want to find women that we can really love on and serve. And he was like, well, you hit the jackpot. This is it right here. And I was like, this whole strip right here? And he was like, yeah. And so then we that's where we ended up. And we would literally just ask people, do you need food? Do you need hygiene? Do you need food? Do you need hygiene? And for like six months, people would flip us off. I was called FBI. Someone thought I was an FBI agent at one point. I was called the police. I mean, all the things for like six months until the one person in the neighborhood who was kind of like the ringleader of the neighborhood finally was like, I'll take food from you. And when that happened, everybody started doing it. Took it took six months to get somebody oh, yeah. to
1: take a free sandwich?
0: Almost, yeah. Yeah.
1: Because they trusted so little. Yep. Are you walking up to girls that are just on a corner? Yeah. Literally,
0: I and mean, we're in a van. But yeah, we literally walk up to girls that are on the corner, and and now we go to drug houses because we know where those are. So we do oh, for both. For sakes, well, we let's do go. both.
1: I just, I'm trying to figure out your. Did you have your gut up in your? I'm I'm putting myself in your shoes. Yeah. If I'm walking up to a corner with one or two or three girls or whatever, mm-hmm. and I may be sensationalized this. So if what I'm painting is inaccurate, correct me. But. Okay. Walk up to a street person, a, a girl, I assume. Halfway, scantily clad, but mm-hmm. maybe just trying to garner attention from a john on a corner,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm walking up to say, "Hey, I'm Dub. You want a sandwich?" Yep. I mean, were you a little nervous the first?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I've, I, I was definitely nervous the first time I asked. And then it, it did get easier each time I'd ask, hey, are you hungry, is usually what I say. Hey, are you hungry? Because that's a simple question, and usually you're hungry. So they're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, I have a sandwich. They either say yes or they say no. At the beginning, it was no. I don't want nothing from you. And then just as time went on, it it changed. People's
1: People changed. When you say hygiene. Mm-hmm. What does that mean?
0: So it would be, we have like a bag full of different items and they're, and they're all different, but sometimes they have like a toothbrush, toothpaste, bar, soap, shampoo, travel size, shampoo, conditioner, just your basic needs. Sometimes they'll have wipes in them. Just kind of depends on who makes them.
1: Just so that they can clean up.
0: Yeah. Cause there's no, like typically no running water. There's no. Where do these girls typically stay? In abandoned houses.
1: Are they pimped? Mm-hmm.
0: Some of them are pimped, and some of them are um, working for food and a place to stay. So, if you stay at an abandoned house, sometimes the abandoned house is owned by a drug dealer, owned
1: or just squatted, squatted on. Squatted
0: on, I guess, is a better way to say it. And so, you have to pay for your space in that room. So, you might is that have
1: where you turn tricks too.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: That is disgusting.
0: It is absolutely disgusting.
1: Why aren't we locking up these squatting homeowner people?
0: Mm-hmm. I think because the city is just too overwhelmed and too busy for to even worry about something like this.
1: Once again, the forgotten people.
0: Right. Right.
1: So, how's a typical transaction work?
0: Yeah. So typically we pull up and usually now people wave us down. Somebody referred to us as like the ice cream truck when they see our big white van. <laughs> we are like, we pull up in the neighborhood and um, people just come out. We beep the horn at drug houses. So we'll pull up, beep the horn, people will come out and then we give them food. We give them hygiene from the window. If they need clothes that I'll get out of the van, go to the back of the van, they can pick out clothes. They can always pick out things that they want. So you can pick two shirts and two pairs of pants. Um, We'll give you socks, gloves in the winter, hat, that kind of things. So, yeah, most of it happens from the window, but a lot of times if they need clothes. So I try to do clothes for every woman that we meet at least once a week. So we just kind of remember like, hey, I gave you clothes last week, so we're not going to do it today. We'll do it next
1: week. I got to believe you're talking to them. You're using the opportunity to have conversations with them about important stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're talking long before the house or any of that. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking to people on the street mm-hmm. that you're just trying to build a relationship with. Yeah. Pretend like I'm one of them. What are you going to say to me?
0: Yeah, I always tell them, like, do you know how value and worthy you are? Like, do you know that your value is much more than this moment right here on the street and this house and this environment? Do you know your value is more than that? Um, And a lot of times... But I don't believe
1: you because I've been devalued my Mm -hmm. entire life
0: but now i feel like because we have such the relationship they actually believe it when it comes from me
1: but i don't i've grown up abused Mm -hmm. i've grown up beaten i've grown up second class i'm Mm -hmm. out here selling myself Mm -hmm. even in the most desperate of times Mm -hmm. when i do look at myself in the mirror i know what i see Mm -hmm. and what i see lacks value And I appreciate you showing up in the van and give me a sandwich or some clothes, Mm -hmm. but you don't know what you're talking about.
0: So maybe one day you will see how you're valued and worthy. And because we show up consistently and love you, no matter what, you can come up to our van and you can have a crack pipe in your hand. You can come up with a needle in your arm. We are going to still accept you just how you are. And eventually that will sink in. And a lot of women have said, you are the only unconditional love or relationship we, we experience. Like... We get to come and there's no strings attached. You don't you know, you can come up to our van and if you decide you're you're pissed off at us today, you don't want to take a lunch. I, that's fine. That's your choice. You don't have to come talk to us. You don't have to take anything from us because you get a choice today here, and eventually that will sit in.
1: When um. When you're handing a sandwich or you're handing clothes out of the window, mm-hmm. you know that within the next few hours in that woman's life, she's going to be creating a sex act for 20 or 30 bucks.
4: Yep.
0: About 20.
1: About 20 bucks.
0: Mm-hmm. 20 for, yeah, for sex.
1: How do you, I don't know how you deal with that. Mm-hmm.
0: It's hard. I mean, there's a lot of days when I come home and my heart is just broke and I cry um, because they don't see their value and worth yet. And so for me, I just, I want to consistently tell them that. Like, I'm always telling them that, whether they believe it or not, at at least it's planting the seed to know how loved and valued they are. Um, And... The, the true fact is a lot of the women, I mean, will, will not survive the streets. I mean, this year we've lost seven girls to um, various overdoses. A couple girls were hit by a car. Some girls were shot. Um,
1: shot? hmm By who?
0: Drug deal gone bad. What about rape? Uh, all the time
1: what does that mean all the time they don't
0: then they all the time so there's this there's this idea in our culture right now that well if we legalize prostitution it'll eliminate all of these harmful things that happen to women women do not get to pick and choose a lot what kind of sex act they want to perform in the car they don't get in a car where usually most of the dates that's what they call them dates happen they don't get to go, this is what I want to do, and that's it. They're told what they have to do. They're forced to do what they have to do, whether they want to do it or not. Women are always telling me how they were raped and forced to do something they didn't want to do. And I always ask them, do you want to file a police report? I will go with you. Do you have a plate? Do you have a car description? I bet it's no it's every time. It's always no. It's always no. Um, And so when we do see cars... And and dates taking place with women getting in. We take plates down. We take car descriptions because if that, if that woman ever comes back to me and go, that guy in that car, that type of car, did this to me and I didn't want to, well, now I ha- at least have a plate. Or if that
1: girl never shows up again.
0: Or the girl never shows up again.
1: Because that happens too. Absolutely. Do they find bodies? Oh, yeah. Do they investigate it?
0: Um, They do. Really? Yeah. I think... They do the best that they can do with the amount of resources and time they have. And probably a real lack of information
1: because nobody's talking to the police.
0: No one's talking to the police. No one.
1: All right. This thing does get redemptive. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to have this part of the conversation for people to fully grasp Mm
4: -hmm.
1: how desperate and sick and how really this is the darkest of our culture it really doesn't get much darker we're talking about rape we're talking about abuse we're talking about drug abuse we're talking about living in a in a place without running water so that you can have your dates or turn your tricks or whatever inside this place and all doing it for 20 bucks yep And getting beaten on. Right. Regularly.
0: Regularly.
1: We'll be right back.
3: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry.
1: So you decided one day to go serve in really the darkest of the dark. Mm -hmm. And how long are you doing this work, serving these girls by just trying to feed them, clothe them, give them basic toiletries, Mm -hmm. but most importantly trying to convince them of their personal mm-hmm. value and worth. Mm-hmm. How long do you? How long are you in, engaged in just that without a house?
0: Yeah, uh, about three years.
1: Okay. So yeah. word starts to get around about the ice cream truck lady who's crazy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what they say. <laughs> if it comes that white lady that's crazy. A white lady's crazy <laughs> that
1: white lady is crazy that gives time. everybody the everything. That white lady's here. That yeah, white lady's here with the ice cream truck. <laughs> And so, someone, I guess, hears about you and says, yeah. yeah, I want to give a house.
0: Yeah. So, I get a phone call on a Saturday morning from a woman who didn't know me, but knew a group of women who knew me from my church. And she said, Her wor- first words out of her mouth were, This will be the strangest conversation you've ever, or strangest phone call you've ever received. And I go, Okay, what?
1: So after the three years you've spent yeah, right. that's saying like, something. Yeah, I know it. <laughs>
0: Amen to that. And so, I was like, Okay. She goes, I, I was praying this morning and God said that we're supposed to give this house to you. I'm like, what house? And she said, well, my husband inherited a house from his cousin um, in Detroit. And we heard you were looking for a house in Detroit. Do you think you would be interested? And I was like, I was ready to say yes right then. I was like, yeah, I want the house. And she's like, maybe you should come look at it first. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I should take our board and we should go look at it and see. So we went and looked at it. And um, it was great. It was structurally a very, very sound house. It just needed some rehabbing inside. So we accepted it, and then we we did renovations to it. And um, yeah, you
1: happen to be married to a carpenter. I happen
0: to be married to a carpenter, so that's very helpful. And uh, yeah, so then we opened it up, and I was actually was like, maybe we won't open it right away. I want to make sure we have all of our ducks in a row. I want to have all our paperwork set, and then. As soon as it was done being renovated, people were calling like, hey, do you have availability for a bed space for a woman who's been on the streets? And I was like, well, I guess we're doing this right now because
1: there was just such a need. Did you have your own house at this point? No, we
0: were renting still. We had moved from the place we were renting. Now we were in a different suburb, but we were still renting.
1: It's so amazing to me Mm -hmm. that you, your organization – is going to own a house to take care of people and you still don't even have your own. Yeah. Um yeah. I don't know much about your kids and your husband. But um they have to be special people.
0: They really are. They really are.
1: To allow you this.
0: Yep. Yes, they are. My you husband want to talk is about a saint. That? Yeah. My husband's a saint for just Allowing the things to happen to happen the way they did. Um, Your
1: children too. Yeah, and they I mean, give up their mom for this. They
0: did. They did give up their mom, and um, they've all gone on outreach with me, so they've all experienced it. Um, and I think that those opportunities of being on the street really helped um, them understand why I do what I do. It really gave them that experience.
1: So. When did we call this house Ellie's house?
0: So, in 2017 is when it became Ellie's house um, because Ellie means God's light and then it's part of our last name. So...
1: Which is also interesting <laughs> it is, that yeah. it just happened that just way. Coincidence. So now you have this house and people are calling, but you can't just swing the doors open to everybody. There no. has to be rules, there has to be right. something. Yeah. So, and then there has to be now a greater purpose. We're not just mm-hmm. giving out sandwiches and clothes.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So take us through the evolution of it
0: mm-hmm. to that point. Yeah, so we actually went to a training here in Tennessee for a place called Thistle Farms. So we went and did their training because we wanted to model their program. It was It's an it's amazing program. And so they're so generous. They give you all their paperwork. They don't make, like, they'll share all their paperwork with you. So you just go, hey, if this is what we're going to do, we just got to make this work for us and, and adapt it for our program. We followed exactly what they did to adapt a program. And then we just our first resident that we took in was someone that we had been talking to on the streets, and she had went to Florida to do a, a program in Florida. And she, while she was in Florida, she kept in touch with us, and she was coming back. And she said, "Could I come and do your program?" And so she did. And so she was our first resident in our in our house, and it was really it was really cool to watch her grow. Tell me about that. So she came and she oh gosh we love her and she worked our program really hard for about 4 months and then things just got hard and relapse is part of the process honestly um it is just what happens multiple times until you're completely ready to be able to stand up to the addiction and not do it anymore and so she did 4 or 5 months with us and then Relapsed, and so she's actually still on the streets now. But we see her very all the time.
1: What's the rules?
0: So, no, no drugs, no sex, no alcohol. Um, you cannot just come and go as you please. So, there's you have to be accountable to me, and where you go, you have to be in therapy. So, we find you a counselor, we find you a mental health therapist. We want to help you find a job and do all of those things, but we want to make sure that. You're successfully progressing through a therapy program with somebody. So honestly, for the first three, three to six months you're with us, you are just doing your appointments. You're just doing your treatment appointments. You're just doing therapy appointments, and that's it. And getting used to living in a house. Do you
1: take them straight off the streets?
0: No. So you have to work a because program. Because you'd
1: have to be dealing with all kinds of
0: mess. Yeah. So you're, you, yeah, you'd have to be working with detox. We don't do any of those things. So a lot of times we work closely with Salvation Army and so we'll take a woman from the street to go there they help with the detox process they work a program there and then they can come to us
1: how long does that take 30 days or something? um so?
0: so their program is 6 months okay but we have we have taken women from different programs that have been 30 days
1: but they're at least clean at the yes. moment yes
0: yeah cuz we're not we're not equipped to help somebody become clean no i get it yeah
1: but so. then they move into your home now how long can they stay with you
0: up to 2 years
1: Two years
0: mm-hmm. rent free
1: rent free mm-hmm. but no drug, no alcohol, no sex. Mm-hmm. What are they doing for that two years?
0: Lots of things, so right now, our residents that we have all, all have full- time jobs. So the goal is- do you we, get them to jobs? Um, they, they get them themselves. I mean, they do the work to find them. We try to figure out, we try to help them navigate what they're passionate about. We want to know what you want to do. Like we, we want you to find a job that's going to help sustain you, right? And, and be successful, but that you enjoy too. Sometimes we've had residents that can't work a job. So they, we help them get disability, SSI, those types of things. Why can't they work a job? Um, the trauma has just been too much, and the addiction has just been too hard on their body, emotionally and physically.
1: They literally just can't
0: come. They literally just can't. Yeah.
1: Isn't that sad?
0: It's, yeah, it's really sad. They weren't born no. there. No. Absolutely not. So, what,
1: when... One of these girls goes for an interview. They don't have much of a resume. Mm-hmm. How's that work?
0: Yeah, so we try to help them navigate what an interview process would look like and just to be honest about what's gone on in their life, right? And actually, a lot of places that we have our women have worked at don't, don't care if you have a misdemeanor charge or even some felony charges they are willing to overlook because they want to help somebody or they're just in a position where they need
1: help. and so Do they know people from Ellie's house?
0: Um, currently, the people that are working their own jobs do not know. So we, we really try to have them find their jobs themselves. We will help you with a resume. We will show you how to look for a job. A lot of the women we work with have had to learn how to use a computer and how to find a job. They don't know any of those skills. And then we help you navigate that. So you can get a job, but we want you to get it on your own if possible. And so far, our residents have been able to do that.
1: And when they're in the house, I mean, what kind of social interaction do they have?
0: Yeah. So they'll have a roommate. There's two women in each house. And then they're required to go to NA or AA meetings every day. And sometimes they'll go to more than one a day. So they have to be at a meeting every day, which allows them to to build community. They also attend church, which builds community, and they go to Bible
1: studies. You said AA. Mm-hmm. What is it like to sit in on one of those? Oh, yeah. With everything. I, mean, I, I understand what AA looks like in my world, mm-hmm. which is friends of mine who – have mostly alcohol mm-hmm. and they go and they sit around a lot of them are business people and whatever. And they talk about how hard they're, but, but an AA meeting with these girls has to be a whole nother level.
0: Yeah. And so I've only been able to go to, and I actually was an NA meeting. Most of the meetings are closed. So unless you are a willing participant um, looking for recovery, you can't attend a meeting But I was able to attend a meeting with our first resident. It was N.A. meetings. And um, it's very humbling to go and sit in a room and listen to people share their stories or even watch people not share their story but listen to other people's story um, in the midst of their own trauma and their own addiction. It's very humbling.
1: Do you find it's – is it almost always the addiction that leads to it?
0: No, I have found that some people end up on the streets and then have their addiction to help them survive being on the streets. So So wow. um, some people are struggling with addiction prior to being out there, and then there's a whole other group of people that, in order to survive being out there, they're now struggling with substance They're self-medicated. Yeah, exactly.
1: Which then leads to a whole other exactly. set of issues with the addiction. Right. How many of the women that you serve also have abuse in their background prior to being on the streets? All of them. All of them? Mm-hmm.
0: Whether it's sexual or physical. I have not found one woman that has said to me, I was not abused at some point in my life. Every one of them. Every one of them has had some type of physical or sexual abuse.
1: Um,
0: now they all struggle with addiction and they all struggle with a mental health disorder.
1: I, I um... One of Lisa and my fundamental tenets of raising children has always been my responsibility, which is regardless of what I say or what we do or how we illustrate what a good marriage looks like, my sons will always treat their wives the way they see me treat mine. Mm -hmm. And my daughters, maybe even more importantly, will always expect to be treated the way they saw their father treat their mother. If I'm respectful, honor her, protect her, and love her, then that is what they're going to expect Mm -hmm. out of a a husband. If they see me being abusive just verbally,
3: yeah.
1: Um, if they see me being physically abusive or any of the other stuff, or they see me being even, you know, the silent treatment is a form (laughs) of abuse. Yeah. And if they see that, then that will be normalized in their relationships one day and right. so the 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 biggest job for my daughters is just mm-hmm. to show them what to expect out of a man one day yeah. and what not to accept out of a man one day and um i've really failed a lot but i have tried to make sure that my daughters expected and accepted only the best and mm-hmm. another and, and their partner one day. Yeah. Um, and it is so interesting to hear you say all of the girls that you've served have dealt with abuse because that same tenet that I'm talking about is at play. hmm That's exactly what that is. And so when you see abuse and then you've been abused as a young girl, being on the street and being abused while it sucks, I got to believe they almost accept it as just Mm -hmm. the way life is.
0: They do. I mean, it's a, a great example of that is when a girl tells me, when I pull up and I say, how was your day today? She goes, well, I was raped earlier this morning. And I say, do you want to go file a police report? And oftentimes the response is no, like I deserved it or I got, like this is the life I lead out here. So because of that, this these things happen. Yeah.
1: And meanwhile, you're trying to tell these folks <laughs> that have had a life of abuse that they're valued. Yep. That they're loved. Yeah. When they don't see themselves as lovable or valuable. Exactly. But you get them in the house.
0: Yeah. I mean, we try to get them in the house. We try to get them someplace, a program, um,
1: but once in the house, yeah, do they start to feel it and see it and believe it?
0: I think so. I think our girls right now feel it and see it and believe it, which is really cool to watch that happen. I um, wish
1: people could see your face light up <laughs> and your big smile when you say that.
0: It's so cool to just watch a woman realize how valuable she is. Like That's just super cool. And then, honestly, part of the journey for us is, is – uh, when when they don't see it to just keep trying to get them to see it like that's just part of the story and to even watch a little bit of a breakthrough of seeing it on the street and you know for a woman to say you know thank you I see that for a second is just it's just gold it's just gold
1: so what does success look like for one of these girls for you
0: Yeah. So I get asked success stories all the time. And
1: I don't want a success story. I want to, I will ask you that later. Yeah. I want to know what success looks like. What makes you go to sleep at night and say, Mm -hmm. we did a good job there?
0: I honestly think it's the depth of conversation and the depth of the relationship growing that is success to me. Because when I look at when we first went out on the street and how, you know, people would flip us off. And I I had a lady kick my car once, kick my van once. And like to. that same woman now who came up to our car and kicked it as hard as she could with her foot will now say, I love you when she leaves our car. Like that's a success story to me. Any interaction where a woman is willing to share her vulnerable story with us and share all of the vulnerable details of addiction and what her day looks like and what it looks like to live in a drug house and what it looks like to live in an abandoned house. Like that's a privilege and that's a big win. Wow.
1: Well folks, that concludes part one of my conversation with Deb Ellinger and part two is now available. I promise you, you do not want to miss it. But if for some strange reason you do, Make sure to join the Army of Normal Folks at normalfolks.us and sign up to become a member of the movement. By signing up, you'll receive weekly email with short episode summaries in case you happen to miss an episode or if you prefer reading about our incredible guest. Together, guys, we can change the country and it starts with you. I'll see you in part two.
2: It's easy to wear, affordable styles that
0: celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
3: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry.